It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Scan the QR code to visit our website at AULC.us and find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and TalkShoe. The following presentation is from a new series from Dr. Rob White called Blast from the Past. In this series, Dr. Rob will feature past sermons that were recorded live. We hope you enjoy this new series. Let's open our sermon with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we come this morning asking that we don't just remember you one day a week or one day a year. We ask, Lord, that you always help us to remember that you're always by our side. You're always with us. You're always there to take care of us. And we ask, Lord, as we get into our word, your word today, that you'll open our hearts and our ears and our eyes and our minds to what you have to say. We want to hear your voice, Lord, and to do that, you need to be with us and help us. And we ask that you share your presence with us and that you shine your glory down on us today as we get started with our Palm Sunday service. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, 1 to 11. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and told them, Go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here right away. So they went and found a young donkey outside the street tied by a door. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing untying this donkey? They answered them, just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. Then they brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their robes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their robes on the road. Others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. The coming of our father David is blessed. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And he went into Jerusalem into the temple complex. After looking around everything since it was already late, he went to Bethany with the twelve. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, as you've all noticed, one of the first signs of aging is the discovery that your hair is falling out. There was a comedian once said that God had a sense of humor because he would get in the shower and he'd find hair in the shower and he would say, what held it in there yesterday? So 
God has a sense of humor because of that. But we also find sight is temporary as well. I'm currently working with new trifocals. Many of you probably have been there and done that, trifocals. I use one for driving, one for reading, and one for the computer. It's really fun. I've got lined ones so I can tell when I move my head which one I'm looking through. And they told me when they put me in the trifocals, they said, this way you know which lens you're using. As though when I look in a different lens, everything goes blurry. I'm going, that's the wrong one. But I'm getting used to it. Walking is still fun. <laughs> there are other signs of our temporary nature as well. Many of us used to be able to eat anything and not gain a pound. I was one of those people. Now we're all just a little soft around the middle and uh, like me, I'm one cheeseburger away from a new wardrobe. <laughs> so <laughs> my wife laughs because she knows it's the truth. <laughs> and she snorts too, yes. <laughs> Nighttime also lets us know that things are changing. Now, I'm not going to ask you to show hands, but I'm going to guess that most of us can get from our bedroom to the bathroom with our eyes closed and in the dark. So, yes, and, and practice has taught us this amazing skill. Now, getting older is doubly hard when we admit that we live in a culture that prizes beautifulness. So what do we do? We try hard at least to look as if we're not young, but that's hard to do the older we get because our bodies will always give us away. Our hands will exhibit swollen knuckles and liver spots and our faces drop and our chins droop. Women get hot flashes and men, they take little blue pills and all signs of our getting older and it's all signs that our life is temporary. But change is inevitable. There's nothing permanent around this world around us today. Something's always changing, whether it's the stock market or your doctor's diagnosis. Now, the younger generations seem to handle change better. It's been said that the younger generations are the first to not only accept change, but to expect change. Now, You've heard it probably from your, your kids and your grandkids, particularly, when's the new iPhone coming out? My God, I have that. Or when's the new iPad coming out? Or this latest and greatest game? They're just looking for it because change is happening. Now, while this is true in regard of technology, even in the winds of culture and the younger generations, just like the older generations, they yearn from, for some sort of permanence here. When faced with the moral truth that we're here one day, we're gone the next. Now scripture tells us that God is the only one, the only person that does not ever change. Yet God loves to see things change, especially when it's you and me. Change means growth. God knows that we all need to grow. So God makes good use of both the positive and the negative changes in our lives to create opportunities for us to grow and to mature or for us to become something more than we were yesterday. Now, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a colt, he was telling people that he was not only a king, but he's a king that came in peace. 
And the irony is, in less than a week, the crowds that have cheered him on on this Palm Sunday and was looking for a peaceful king to arrive, they turned violent and turned out to be the masters of his death. The change that Jesus brought was not the kind of change that people had in mind. Jesus' ways were too new to them. Jesus' ideas about God were a little too progressive. Jesus' teachings about forgiving enemies and considering Samaritans as neighbors and welcoming home sinners, this was all too much that those in power could stand. Jesus was upsetting the, the little bit of security and the permanence that had been carved out for the people by the Roman occupation. Now those in power did anything to anyone that threatened them. They conspired to get rid of the threat. They didn't just want to stop it, they would want to just get, wipe it out. They conspired amongst themselves to have Jesus crucified by the Romans. That way they couldn't say that the Jews killed Jesus. It was a good plan because the Romans could take the brunt of the blow and no one would hate the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the, the high priest of the time. Jesus' enemies thought that they could fix this problem once and for all. They thought that they could take control of the situation and have a permanent end to this ever-growing, ever-changing Jesus problem. Even some of Jesus' own followers thought his crucifixion would be the end of his story. And that was that. It's all over. But of course, that wasn't going to be the case. It would appear that God, even the most obvious and apparent endings, to God are not permanent. Sometimes what threatens us, what scares us the most, is exactly what we need in order to grow. If we never take any risk in life, we'll end up leading a pretty boring life. But more than that, we'll probably never end up growing to be the people that God wants us to become. Even though a ship in the harbor may be safe, that's not what ships were made for. To embody faith is risky. To believe in what cannot be seen, what cannot and what will never be proven scientifically, is to risk being labeled backwards or not modern or fanatical or superstitious or just plain out kooky. Yet, without faith, we become part of the world around us, a world that is greatly threatened by the thought of death, so much that it's created a myth to live by, a myth that says that you and I can be a perpetually young being, a myth that says we can live forever and that we can look like those people in the magazines if we would just buy the right beauty products or take the right pharmaceuticals or eat all the right foods or save up for all the right plastic surgeries. But that wasn't the message that Jesus brought. Jesus' message crushes that myth. Or like the Mythbusters would say, that myth is busted. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus' message threatened the myth that says that anything other than God is permanent. The myth that says that change is unavoidable. Jesus came with the message that says not only is life temporary, but that change is unavoidable and that more than that, change in life is good and it's necessary and should be sought out as if we're looking for buried treasure. Now, of course, the people in power in Jesus' day didn't like that message because it upset the status quo. 
It was counter to what they had been teaching all along, and they didn't want to look foolish. They didn't want to lose their position within society, and they sure didn't want to follow a man who ate with sinners and associated with women in public and loved his enemies. They couldn't possibly follow such a man because that would mean, well, that would mean change. So they killed him. They nailed him to a cross. They left him there to die. They got rid of the problem so they could get back to life on their own terms. But they forgot one important truth here. They forgot the truth that all life was created on God's terms. Not on their terms, not on ours, not on societies, not on the governments, but on God's terms. Only a few remained at a distance the day the sky turned black and the sun turned red. Only a few women stood by nearby looking at him, daring to believe, risking their lives in the face of irrefutable evidence, hoping against hope that this was not the end, that a change would occur, that something, something would happen to make the world understand, to make the world see who Jesus really was. Those weary women would watch as they took his lifeless body down. They would follow as they took him to a borrowed tomb. They would be present at his body as, they was, as he was laid to rest, a giant stone placed in the permanently sealing the way of the tomb. They would walk away wanting to believe, but feeling as though the world that they had hoped for had just ended. The world had moved from palms to passion in less than a week. And now only the true innocent one would guard the world. And he was dead. He was laying sealed in a tomb. His true identity recognized only by the guardian centurion and a few exhausted followers at a distance. Life would never be the same for these weary followers. They had no idea what the future held for them. It was a time of overwhelming grief, yet a small spark of hope still lingered within them. A big change was on the way, but they weren't there yet, and neither are we. Now today marks the beginning of our walk through Holy Week, or Passion Week. It's a week that can seem paradoxical and confusing. We move from a triumphal entry of Jesus on Palm Sunday, a parade with shouts of joy and cheers of Hosanna, which means, Lord have mercy, Lord save us. And we move from such a parade into Monday, Thursday, into the Last Supper, remembering that it was during this meal that the disciples, who thought they were gathering for the usual, usual Passover meal, suddenly had Jesus turn to them and say, This is my body, which is broken for you. And this is the cup of the new covenant sealed in my blood. And with these gifts of the body and the blood, Jesus also told the disciples that they would all fall away and that one of them would utterly betray him. And by Friday, the disciples had all run away. One of them had utterly betrayed him. But Friday, Jesus had been tried, convicted, and nailed to a cross and left to die. It's just a matter of days that Holy Week takes us from the mountain of festive palms to the mountain of Golgotha's despair. And that's why we resist it so. I mean, do we really need this emotional roller coaster of Holy Week? 
What's so wrong with just jumping from one parade to the next and skipping a sacrifice and all the death stuff? What's wrong with simply moving on to the joy of Easter with white bonnets and Easter eggs and family and friends, a big ham dinner, and of course, an empty tomb? Well, I think we all know the answer to that. For starters, the empty tomb at face value is a lot easier to deal with than a dying and bleeding Savior on a cross. Add to that all the pain and the suffering that comes with Holy Week. Is it any wonder that the human tendency is to try and ignore the events of this week and simply move on to the Easter celebration? But as much as we'd like to skip Holy Week, we know that the only way to Easter is through the cross. But as much as we'd like to skip this Holy Week, we know that the parade of Palm Sunday leads and and where it leads to, and we also know that we're part of that parade. That's to say that we know this intellectually. Our hearts, though, are another story. Our hearts may be more in sync with the disciples and the fear and the disbelief that led them to run away. It would seem that 2,000 years later, Jesus' disciples are still running away. The Lenten season has been long, almost 40 days long, and most of us would like to just get it over with. We begin the Lenten season with ashes on our foreheads, and by now those ashes have gotten pretty heavy. Those ashes reminded us of our own mortality and the fact that our only hope is in God. And now, as we move into the Holy Week, the shadow of those ashes looms large as we follow Jesus from the parade to the Last Supper, to the crucifixion, to a hopeless tomb. We walk through this Holy Week on this road because it's loaded with everything in life that has the power to weigh us down and to cause us pain. So some might ask, why in the world would you do it then? Why would you choose to be weighed down and to experience suffering, even if it's only vicariously? Well, because the experience of Holy Week not only provides us with a model of Jesus Christ who teaches us how to bear burdens, but also the experience of Holy Week teaches us that Jesus Christ has borne our burdens in such a complete way that not even death can overwhelm us now. What our walk through Holy Week reminds us of is the fact that pain has the power to change us. And God's pain has the power to transform us and resurrect us. Which sounds like good news. In fact, it sounds like great news. But it's the great good news because it doesn't keep us from quietly harboring a certain uneasiness about how the whole thing came about. We wonder how could a God of love let this happen to his only son? Or to look at it another way, if God could let this happen to Jesus, who was perfect and without sin, what's going to happen to me? The truth is we all want to ask about all this suffering and all this death. Why does God continue to let cancer cells thrive and children starve and good, faithful people die in horrible auto accidents? These are all good questions. And in many ways, the Holy Week embodies them all. In the Holy Week, it's all there. All the unfairness, all the injustice, all the mystery of not knowing, all the mystery of God's ways being different and higher than our ways. You see, Holy Week is big picture time. 
Holy Week brings it all together in a sort of tapestry of the human experience. Holy Week brings together all of the joy and the friendship of Jesus and his disciples and all the pain and the anguish of Jesus and his disciples. And Holy Week brings together all the joy of palms with all the pain of the passion. It brings together all the highs and the lows of the lives that we lead. Holy Week doesn't much answer our questions as it confirms them by saying to us that life is not fair. Bad stuff happens to good people. Death is a reality. Holy Week confirms all of that to us but adds significant word of hope. A word that says, just when you think it's over. Now in his book, Messengers of God, Holocaust survivor Eli Weisel talks about the difference between Judaism and Christianity by comparing the two mountains that rise in each one. For Judaism, it's Mount Moriah, where Abraham bound his son Isaac. You all remember that story. God tests Abraham by telling him to go up on the mountain and offer Isaac as a burnt offering, his only son Isaac, whom he loved, and sacrifice him on a bed of kindling wood. And then, just when you think it's over, God intervenes and provides a ram that's stuck in a thicket, just as the sacrifice of that ram instead of his son. We see that in Genesis 22. Now, for Christianity, Weasel writes, the, the mountain is Golgotha, where according to tradition, another father bound his only son to a deadly piece of wood. The difference between the two religions, Weissel says, is that in the Jewish story, the father does not kill the son, but in the Christian story, he does. For the Jew, Weissel says, all truth must spring from life, never from death. Now, whether you agree with Weissel or not, you can't see that he doesn't make his point. It is very difficult to reconcile a God of love with a God who will will the death of his only son. And yet with Weisel, he doesn't take into account that the story of Jesus, like he did with the story of Abraham and Isaac. It's the whole story, the whole idea of God finding a way, and then just when you think it's over. The Christian story doesn't end with the death of Jesus. The Christian story is about life, not death. And the Holy Week leads us through that. In many ways, it's a reenactment of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Only this time, Jesus is the ram stuck in the thicket. He becomes the sacrifice. This time, Jesus does not equal Isaac, but we equal Isaac. Jesus takes our place. We are the beloved, only children of God who are spared through the sacrifice of another. The great shepherd becomes a lamb on our behalf so that all the sons and all the daughters of Abraham might know life and will know it fully. The holy hope that Holy Week brings is a splash of cold water that just startles us. Wake up, look and see, God is saying. God is at work in the human suffering, in the unfairness and the injustices of the world. God is at work to overcome these things not by making them disappear with a wave of magic wand, but by transforming them into something meaningful, something useful, something valuable. It's a word of good news and a word of hope, warning that just when you think it's over, you realize it's God's time.
The only way to Easter is to travel through the journey from the Palms to the Passion. The only way we can truly come to faith in Jesus Christ is to travel through the darkness that is the death of God's own innocent one. The only way we can ever truly enjoy the grandeur of Easter is when we put to death our own gullibility and our negativity that changes us and that tells us that we are in charge, we're in control, we have the power to maintain, maintain things as they are, we can create a permanence. Easter is coming, and there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. So as we go from here today, we're challenged to spend this next week contemplating the everlasting permanent love of God, and then thinking, thinking and praying about those areas of our lives that needs to be changed, those parts of our lives that hold us back from believing more fully, those ways of being that need to die so that the people of God that wants us to be will be resurrected for a new life come Easter morn. Change is coming. Just look, the parade of palms have already passed us by. Darkness and despair looms over the events of the week ahead. Tragedy and loss bleed from the day that we call Good Friday. We are naked and cold and shivering, and there's an absolute silence in the universe. Yet there's hope, because change is coming. There's hope at this table. There's hope contained within the elements of the bread and the wine. There's hope in the presence of our Lord and the promise of life from death. Even in the midst of our own greatest moments of darkness and despair, even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, even in the midst of grief and disillusionment, this meal is given to us that we might have hope, that we might celebrate. All are welcome here, for this table is set for the broken, the brokenhearted, the broken in spirit, the broken in body and no one will be sent away hungry or thirsty. This table transcends all human boundaries and regathers us in the heavenly realm. At this table, we are one with our Lord. There are no denominations. There are no racial differences. There are no ethnic, ethnic distinctions. There's no male or female. There's no young or old. But all are one in hope and promise at the table of our Lord. And that's our Lord's message for this Lord's day. I hope you got a blessing out of it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your words today. Words of encouragement, words of hope, and we can't thank you enough for that, Lord. And we, we ask that you just be with us each and every day and help us to remember what we heard here today, that change is inevitable, but hope is right around the corner. Hope is coming. Change is coming. We thank you for that, Lord. In your son Jesus' precious name, amen. Go out this week and be a blessing, because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. So thank you all for coming. We'll see you all next Sunday. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you. It's good to see you all again. Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is an AULC Studios video production. Copyright 2012-2023. All rights reserved. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.